Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. My name is Noble, joined here with my co-host Wheeler. We have a busy pod today, a lot to talk about. We're going to break down the absolutely abysmal performance against Texas A&M that just shattered the playoff hopes before our very eyes. Then we're going to move into our upcoming matchup against Mississippi State this Saturday. And then after we get all of that sadness and pain out of the way, we will shift to basketball and be happy and it will be all is well on the Auburn Today podcast. But as always, let's throw it off to Weather. Weather, what were your thoughts about the Texas A&M game? Uh, young grasshopper. This is your first time in a long time. Let's see. Let's see. So you're I've younger. not had hope in Auburn football since no. 2017. So here's the thing. You started really following Auburn football and actually remembering and being able to keep up with stuff after Nick Saban was at Alabama. Would yes. you agree with that statement? Yes, I would agree with that. Okay. I would say since 2008, no, well, 2009, you have had to be nearly perfect to win your division, the SEC West, and to have yeah. what is considered a successful season. Yeah. Prior to Nick Saban being there, teams often had seasons where they lost multiple SEC games and were still in contention for the SEC championship. Mm -hmm. Auburn fans, I think a lot of them, have forgotten those days of football and have this unrealistic expectation that if we don't win every single SEC West game, in every single neutral site or road game against a power five opponent that we are just destined for the Birmingham bowl. The number of people that are like, Oh, well, at least we'll get to see the new stadium up in Birmingham. It'll be Auburn versus the UAB Blazers. No, 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 Because we went on the road, have a competitive game. Offense has an abysmal game. I'll give you that. Offense was terrible. Okay. So you lose a game by a couple touchdowns. Honestly, scoreboard makes the game look a whole lot worse than it is. The defense played their hearts out. You know, you give up that late fumble scoop and score. That really ends it. And then it's, it's just garbage time after that. So the team is not dead. This is not like Georgia State, okay? You want to know what the difference is? Georgia State was a mediocre team for their league. And they had guys that had never done anything in their career running over Auburn's defense like it was nothing. 
That's why I was hitting the panic button after the Georgia State game. It's not that Auburn almost lost a game. It was who the competition was. Texas A&M had a bad first month of the season. They had a bunch of guys out, a bunch of guys hurt. Jimbo Fisher was not able to get them ready. They have a terrible September. All of a sudden, they beat Alabama, and they turn their program around. They're a top 15 team. CBS, the primetime CBS game, raucous environment, and the offense goes out there and lays an egg. And the whole offense. Everybody's killing Bo Nix. And, hey, I'm going to say, Bo had a terrible game. But, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think that Bo is going to tell you that he didn't have a terrible game. But that's how football is. Guys don't go out and play. Bryce Young had a terrible game. Five-star. He was a front-runner for the Heisman. Dude went and hung 21 on LSU. Like, this is college football. You're not going to have a quarterback that just goes out there and tears it up every single week. And if you are, they're only going to be there like a year because they're going to go to the NFL. The expectations that people have of what college football teams should do has been totally jaded by Alabama last year and what Joe Burrow did two years ago at LSU. Those were just because they were back to back seasons, people began to think that that was the new college football. Those were literally legendary teams. They just happened to be in back to back years. But the reason they're legendary teams is because that doesn't happen. Like air raid attacks don't make the playoffs. What, what LSU did was an anomaly where they had five NFL receivers. So if one was down, another guy's picking them up and they had an NFL number one overall draft pick at the helm. Same with Alabama, first-round draft pick. All right, so Bo is a mediocre to above-average college football quarterback, and everybody thinks that, you know, everybody has the joke, I think he's a dark horse for the Heisman, but really people's expectations are that Bo is going to play a Heisman Trophy season every single game. Like, he had a terrible game, namely the fumble, but honestly – that drive before he does that fumble, there are, I think there's two drops of first downs, like back to back. There's the little curl route out to Shedrick that he drops. And then you got the pass over the middle. Uh, I'm trying to think of who it was thrown. I think it was thrown to Kobe. And he thuds it off of his knee and doesn't make the grab. So that's two plays on the drive where the mistake happens, where he's basically made the play, he hit him in the hand. Both of them were perfect throws. Okay, so he doesn't play bad on those plays. His receivers play bad on those plays. Offensive line has a breakdown. Then Bo has a breakdown. The receiver doesn't do anything wrong. Are you seeing here that it, Bo did not have a good game, and I'm not defending that that was a acceptable performance, but I am saying it was the whole offense. The whole offense was out of sorts, and people are all trying to go, you know, absolutely hammer Mike Bobo. I didn't think it, I thought it was one of his worst game plans for the season, but also at the end of the day, the shot plays were there. They were either dropped or just overthrown by 10 yards. Same thing on that last drive. The play was there. There's a 25 yard completion to Kobe and he just didn't catch it. You know, the only people that played, I thought Tank actually had a really good game. I think he's actually improved. I think the bye week, they worked with him on not trying to have an 80-yard run on every single thing. Go north and south. You're a big dude. You can go get some yards. Jarquez has had, you know, hit a little bit of a freshman wall, I feel like. But 
I mean, it seems like they're running the same place for him. He was still effective on several of those toss sweeps. It finally got blown up. But I don't know. I just – I thought the, the offense just never quite got into a good rhythm, and that was the problem. And I don't know. I just – I think the panic is unnecessary. Auburn still has a legitimate chance to go to the SEC championship. Like, they're playing old Miss with game day there. Matt Corral's ankles are getting better. They're getting healthier at receiver. They've knocked off some teams. Like, I'm not saying – I think Texas A&M's going to win the game, personally. But I'm not – it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, it's not like we're hoping for some trash team to go upset somebody. Like, Ole Miss is a quality football team that could beat Texas A&M. Auburn should beat Mississippi State. Where I know we're going to get to it later in the podcast. They should beat Mississippi State and then have a chance against Alabama – well, they shouldn't lose South Carolina. But you know what I'm saying? The season's not over. The panic doesn't need to be there. I agree. I agree with a lot of what you said. I do. I think that with what you said about how the SEC is structured now, this team reminds me a lot of what that 2000 Auburn team did. For those that don't know, that Auburn team started to a 5-0 and start. We didn't really expect a ton from that team, but we were like, okay, we had a good start, okay? For the, so you, you opened up with a, a win against Wyoming, beat a ranked Ole Miss, beat LSU, beat Northern Illinois, and then slaughtered Vanderbilt. Next week, lose to Mississippi State and start going to close game. Very next week, lose to Florida in an absolute blowout. Got absolutely killed in the swamp. Beat Louisiana Tech, beat Arkansas, beat Georgia, beat Alabama, go back to the SEC championship. After that Florida game, we were like, okay, like th- that team, it, it was like, it was, everyone was like, okay, this team is not that good. They still made it back to the SEC championship, got beat by Florida pretty bad again, but still won the West, and that team wasn't very good. And I think that if you compare this team's talent, and that's the thing, and you touched on it last week before, I think it was, after the Ole Miss game or before the Ole Miss game, you touched on the fact you were, you were praising the coaches for what they've done with the talent on the roster. And I think that that was something, myself included, that that was something that I feel like our fan base didn't really realize and didn't really pay attention to, that it's like the team is not that talented. Like, if you look, like on, if you look on offense, like, like you look at the line, you're like, okay, Verdarius Ham, he's not that good. Keandre Jones, he's not that good. Nick Brahms, he's not that good. Like, Alec Jackson, because Brandon Council is out, not that good. Austin Troxel, Killian Zaire, they're not that good. Bo Nix, he's, he's not. Yeah, they're serviceable. Bo Nix, he's serviceable. He's not that good. Our wide yeah. receivers, they're not serviceable. They're not good. Straight yeah. up. Tank Bigsby, he's really good. He is a really good running back. If Tank Bigsby was an average running back, the offense is worse than it is. But – they can still do stuff, whatever. Tank Bigsby, still a great back. Actually had a good game against Texas A&M. He was the only player on offense that I was like, you can look at him and say, hey, you did what you were supposed to do. You did a good job for the hand you were dealt. I thought that he had a good game. I thought, I thought Sean had Chivers a, had a good game too. Yeah, I agree. Ch- Chivers did all, good. All the running backs. None of the yeah. running backs did enough to say, wow, that loss is on y'all. I, I completely agree. I think that the running backs far and away had the best day out of anyone on the offense, but it wasn't that hard to do seeing as how every position group had a horrible day besides the running backs on offense. 
Not going to talk about the defense. Defense played fantastic. Huge shout-out, especially to Ladarius Tennyson coming in in Zion Puckett's absence, and he had a day. I mean, he, he had that one boneheaded penalty where he just drilled the guy because he didn't know he caught a fair catch. That wasn't great. But other than that, he played a really solid game. Defense, no complaints there. They played, I think, their best game of the season. And I think that it was really encouraging, especially you look at how Alabama struggled greatly against that LSU defense. I really think that Auburn's defense is going to cause Alabama a lot of problems. I'm interested to see how we go against Mississippi State. We'll get into that a little later. I think that if we look at this team, I personally think Ole Miss will beat Texas A&M because Calzada literally dislocated his shoulder. Like, after that happened, he came in. I think he threw two passes, and they were both – he missed his man by 20 yards. I mean, it was, it was horrible. He was nothing. If, and that's, that was what frustrated me, was sitting there and I was watching it and I was like, okay, Calzada's done. Like, he's not going to throw the ball. Like, we know he's not going to throw the ball. We can sell out to stop the run. Their offense won't do anything for the rest of the game. And we kind of started getting a little something going on that offensive drive. We tried the trick play and Bo just drops the ball. And I was like, oh gosh, here we go. Bo's going to mess something up. And then he just drops the ball, fumbles it, they pick it up. And as soon as that happened, uh, I was completely done. I was like, we lost, it's over. That was just – it was just such a horrible game, just such a horrible offensive performance. But what did you – so a lot of people were calling – a lot of people were mad that T.J. Finley did not enter the game. I I don't think – I the reason that Brian Harson did not put T.J. in the game, I think, was because he knew that T.J. wasn't going to win the game. And he knew what it would happen if he put TJ in and the distractions that would happen. And he already risked shattering Bo's confidence against Georgia State. But it was like he he thought TJ Finley could come in and win that game. And I feel like with that LSU game, Bo Nix, if you remember, he really didn't come in on fire until it's, he started getting rushed and he started having to make plays that were just him. And he started carrying that offense, and that's when his confidence started getting back up. But in the first quarter, it still wasn't there. And I don't think Harson wanted to risk that aspect of, you know, Bo's mindset. Because obviously we've seen Bo is not super mentally disciplined, so I feel like he didn't want to risk that. I personally would not have objected to TJ Finley coming in after that fumble. Because we knew, like, I literally, I, I literally said, as soon as they scored on that scoop and score, I said, Bo's done. Bo will not do anything good for the rest of the game. And he didn't. And there is no doubt my, Bo Nix is the starting quarterback on this team. I am not saying whatsoever that TJ Finley should start against Mississippi State, nothing like that. But when Bo had nothing and it was like, you know, Bo's not going to do anything, I would not have objected to TJ Finley coming in personally. What do you think? I don't think TJ – granted, I don't think we would have won if TJ comes in, but would you have been okay if TJ came in after Bo had had a really bad first three quarters and then had just had a horrible, horrible start to the fourth quarter? But, I mean, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense of why you would do it other than to punish Bo for being absolute hot garbage. I mean – Texas A&M, like, leads the SEC in sacks. And TJ also led the SEC in getting sacked last year. The offensive line was getting mauled the entire game. 
that like the the chances of TJ not to mention and I was watching the game with somebody and got into an argument with them on this. Bo, it's just like I said in my long monologue starting, there were plays where Bo was hitting the receivers and they just yeah. didn't catch it. It doesn't That's matter true. who the quarterback is. They could have had Johnny Manziel, Cam Newton, Tim Tebow out there. If the receivers don't catch it when you hit them in the hands, like you're not going to be a good quarterback. And it was a lot. It yes. was like a lot of drops. And I agree. I agree in the first three quarters, I didn't think that Bo was horrible. But I do think after he had the fumble, there were times when he was missing, when he was just missing throws that he should have made because he was rattled and because he knew what was happening, you know? Yeah. And but I do you think like TJ's going to come in off the bench cold and just zip it in? No, I but just... I think I think that I, I agree. I, I, I see both arguments, and I, I agree with what you're saying, but I feel like it would have reminded me a little bit of that twenty the 2016 Iron Bowl. Defense had played a great game. We were kind of in it, but Jeremy Johnson wasn't cutting it. And so we put in JF3 just as a – we didn't think JF3 was going to lead us to a win. We thought JF3 might be able to spark something. Who knows, get, get lucky on something and get some points. Who knows what would have happened. We knew that we weren't going to win the game with JF3 coming in. We know we wouldn't have won the game if TJ came in. But Here's if the you thing, know JF3, for... you're bringing in a spark because you're bringing in a dynamic player. TJ Finley's not dynamic. Like, the fact that people are clamoring for this guy to come in the game, he's one of the least dynamic quarterbacks I've ever seen. He is literally a pocket passer that doesn't even hit his target all the time. Like, he's a bad pocket passer, and everyone's like, Bring him in for a spark. And I'm like, he's the least sparky guy ever. He's a fire extinguisher to sparks. I mean, that's just the truth. And everybody, all, everyone for all eternity. But he came in and beat Georgia State. Bruh, you don't have to be good to do that. They are inferior talent. That Like, causing a spark against an elite SEC defense and causing a spark against Georgia State, Totally different. That's like the guys that go out there and cause a spark on A-Day. You're not going to bring in the fourth-string walk-on running back to go get your 80-yard run like you do in the fourth quarter of A-Day. That, that's the talent difference. They see this guy in practice every day. If he was a spark maker against starting offenses, they would have brought him in. They see what he does when he plays against real competition. And the reason that the only game Bo has had some trash moments against several good teams, and they, they have never pulled Bo against actual competition. The only person that they were confident he could have a spark against was Georgia State. I mean, think about it. They, they let him in for the one drive against LSU, and it was a garbage drive. Like, people just gloss over that. It was terrible. It was actually terrible. And that was a scripted drive because it's his first drive in the game. No, that, that's my thing. If It would be totally different if there was a dynamic person. Heck, Demetrius Davis must be abysmal because he's like the JF3 kind of guy that you bring in as a spark. He can play in four games as a red shirt. If he's like a dynamic runner, at least you're getting something new, you know? Yes, for those also for those that don't that don't know, Demetrius Davis is not on the travel team. So we could not have put him in against Texas AM, even if we wanted to. The other travel team quarterback that we have is Trey Lindsay, who's a walk-on from Montgomery. 
and he's not he's not he's not causing a spark. And so he's I there do, because he calls plays. He literally exactly, wears the hat exactly. and brings does the signals, not because he's going to go in the game. Exactly. I do agree. I, I agree with what you're saying, and I think you make some good points. But I do, and if I was if I was in Brian Harsman's shoes, I would not have taken Bonex out of the game. But I do understand the argument that people were making because some people wanted Finley to see reps just because they knew that Bo Nix was not going to do anything. And I don't think that that's a horrible argument. I don't think it would have made a difference. I still think we lose. I don't think TJ does anything remarkable. But if you know for a fact that Bo Nix is not going to do anything, and let's be honest, we all knew. As soon Here's as the, the fumble happened, we all knew Bo Nix was it is not going to do It is not because of my confidence in Bo Nix that I didn't think that TJ should go in the game. It was in my lack of confidence in TJ. anyone else on the roster having a shot to do it. That's fair. That's fair. And I do think this, this game with, you know, I, I, I did a, I did a question sticker on the page and a lot of people, a lot of people were calling for TJ. A lot of people were calling for Demetrius. If you're listening to this podcast and you are not, and you want us to start a different quarterback, I am not saying by any means that Bo Nix is the best quarterback in the country. I'm not saying that Bo Nix is an average quarterback. I think that you no, could make – he is average. He is average. You could make the argument that at Bo's worst, he is one of the worst quarterbacks in the country. And I don't think that's – I, I no. think at his best, yeah. at his best, he's one of the better quarterbacks. Like in college football this season, when Bo Nix is on fire and he's feeling himself, he's a really good quarterback. When he he's is at his worst, and valleys, man. Yeah, when he is at his worst, he is absolutely horrible, and it is it is a worst. I it mean, is hard bad. to watch. It is it hard is, to watch him play football when he has lost it. Exactly. But and here's here's my question. Maybe you can answer this for me, because I see this all the time on on question stickers and comments and and such. The argument of people, and I I agree with part of it. Let me get to it. So. The people that say, I hate that Bo Nix gets so mad at his teammates and then when he messes up, doesn't hold himself accountable. First of all, I don't think he should be yelling at his teammates the way that he does because he yells at his teammates almost like he's really good and doesn't make a lot of mistakes when, in fact, he does. I want to know, what do you think people want to see the man do? Do they want him to, like headbutt his own helmet when he like messes up I, I just don't understand how what they want to see of quote him holding himself accountable when he messes up do I, they want to see a my bad like a that's all me I don't because he looks kind of pissed on the sidelines even when he messes up I think that Bonnet I think that he knows like I I, I do think that he knows the offense backward and forward. Like, I think that when when it's the kind of thing with how with how much football Bo Nix has played, and from what you can see on the sidelines, when a receiver turns one way and the ball goes the other, I am fairly confident most of the time that Bo expected the receiver to do something and the receiver got it wrong. And I believe that that is a fair argument because every time you see it, every time one of those things happens, if you look at the sideline, the receiver is always the one getting talked to and not Bo. 
And if Bo was thrown at the wrong place, Bo would be the one getting chewed out. So I, I understand Bo's frustration, but you've he his awareness is his awareness is so bad because you've got to know when you're the starting quarterback and you're yelling at your teammates, you're going to get put on TV and everyone's going to see it. Everyone's going to see it. And the thing is, like you said, if you're not that good and you've been playing terrible the whole game, it's a horrible look. It's a horrible look. Now, I will say – And not just for the TV, for your teammates who are probably like, yeah, bro, you suck too. Yeah, exactly. But I do think – I don't – like. I think that Bo Nix is a fierce competitor, and he does the right like, – in his post-game conference, he never puts the blame on anybody else, ever. He always will put the blame on himself. Like, today he was trying – he was like, the loss is on me. Like, he, he straight up said that. He was like, the loss – the Texas A&M loss, it's on me. And, yeah, I mean, Bo Nix did not play well, but, I mean, even against Georgia, like, Bo Nix played a pretty good game that game. He just had 12 drops. And he could have been like, well, you know, like we couldn't catch the ball. No, he was like, he never said that. He never brought it up. And so I think that Bo Nix, when he's in his interviews, he says the right things like an experienced quarterback should. But in the moment, he gets pissed off and he's mad at his players for doing the wrong thing. And you get that, but you, he just, he, you've got to, you've got to understand the situation and you've got to understand how it comes off. Cause it comes off like you're just a total, total tool and honestly he probably is like I don't know I mean I don't know the guy personally but I'm like like from what you've seen you're like okay he's probably not the best guy but it's like if you just look at how he treats his teammates when he's fired up and he's mad it's just a horrible look and it just doesn't look good for his position whether he's in the right or in the wrong I agree but what I was what I was saying before is that for the people that are team TJ or team Demetrius a there's a reason that they don't play because the people that get paid millions of dollars to make the decisions that see them every day in practice still have Bo Nix as a starting quarterback TJ Finley has done nothing to make you actually have a reason I posted this I said if anybody has a a legitimate reason why you think TJ Finley is better than Bo Nix please tell me and nobody could everyone would bring up Georgia State but if you watch that Georgia State game he didn't even do much. Georgia State's not that good. And T.J. Finley, when he's been a starter, was terrible, and he got benched for Max Johnson, who is – I mean, he's not bad. No, but he was horrible this weekend. Yeah, like he's If they he's had not any bad, other quarterback is, other than Calzada, they would have won that game. He yeah, had exactly. so many open receivers, and he just watched Will Anderson come and wreck his life. I, I don't – I mean, I don't think Max is the worst quarterback in the SEC, but I'd say he's – uh, middle of the pack to lower of the pack. I'd say he's probably 10, 10 or 11 of worst court. Cause you also have to consider some of the just horror. I mean, you got to consider some of the horrible quarterbacks, but okay. So you look at that. TJ Finley got benched for that guy. He's not that good. Demetrius Davis. I like the guy. I really do. And I feel like I, I my like for the guy is almost decreased because everyone else thinks that he is, Kyler Murray, Cam Newton, Michael Vick, Joe Montana, and Tom Brady all rolled into one. Like the guy, he was, he is, uh, he's very undersized. He, every practice I've been to, he has played horrible. I mean, he, I, apparently he's done okay in some scrimmages. I've been to, I went to three practices. He was horrible in every single one of them. He was the six string quarterback in, in, the, in a fall practice. In a fall practice, he was behind Trey Lindsay and Sawyer Pate. Like, 
he was he, he was not good in fall camp. In high school, like in high school, he was plummeting down the rankings his senior year, plummeting. Like everyone brings, and it's ironic because everyone brings up how great Demetrius was in high school and all of his accolades. Bo Nix is statistically one of the greatest high school quarterbacks to ever live. He is the best high school quarterback to ever play in the state of Alabama. He is. Like, he won state titles. He tore up great teams. Like, he was an absolute dog. He was the number one dual threat quarterback in high school. The guy was insane in high school. And everyone's talking about Demetrius Davis in high school. But Bo Nix was really good in high school, and we've seen how good he was in college. So, just bottom line is, you can hate Bo Nix with everything in you. You can say that Bo Nix is an average quarterback, and I won't. De- I won't debate you if you say that. You know, game in, game out, he's an average quarterback. I'd agree, but the thing is, he gives Auburn the best chance to go three and zero in our next three games, and there is no debating that. There is no doubt in my mind. If we started TJ Finley, I think we might beat South Carolina. Might we lose to Alabama? We lose to Mississippi State. If we start Demetrius Davis, I think we lose all three. Straight up, I think we lose all three. And so I just don't I think it's understand. very telling he's not on the travel roster. Yeah, like that's the thing. It's like there's one thing being young and all that, but like if you are not on the travel roster, that means that there is zero chance that you are going to play. Like the coaches, they're like, we aren't even going to bring him on the trip because we know that there is no chance, no scenario we'll put him in the game. We will put in TJ, we will put in Grant Loy before we put this guy in. Like, there is no chance that the coaches think that there's any situation where they were ever played Demetrius Davis on a road game. And I think that is the most telling thing ever. And I'm not hating on the guy. I hope that I really do. I, I really like him as a player. I think he's determined. I think he's focused. I like him. I do. But right now, he is nowhere close to being a starting quarterback at Auburn University. And maybe next year he might. Maybe the year after he might. I don't know. I would, I would truly like it. If he could be the starting quarterback at Auburn and be productive, I would love it. I like the guy. Right now, he's not at that point. We need to stop acting like he is. Yeah. I but mean, travel roster. If you if you're not on yeah. the travel roster, you're you're not playing okay. in a home game. But so that kind of wraps up the Texas A&M talk. We can shift over to Mississippi State. Mississippi State had been playing some really good football. They've been playing good teams, playing well. They get into the college football playoff rankings at 17, lose a heartbreaker to Arkansas, 31 to 28. And they slid out of the rankings, which kind of surprised me. Because I think, I mean, I think Arkansas is not a great team. I mean, they've got some losses, but I mean, their losses are to respectable teams. I think Arkansas is a good football team, lost a close game. I expected Mississippi State to be like 23, 24, 25 in that area. They slid out. It is what it is. But Will Rogers is the Mississippi State quarterback. He threw for 417 yards and four touchdowns. Granted, I mean, they throw it every play. but That was the best thing that could have happened, in my opinion. Yeah. So, Wheeler, just kind of walk us through what your thoughts were when you when you saw kind of how that game went and did it. What did it do kind of thinking of how you picture Mississippi State for this game this Saturday uh, at 11 o'clock in Jordan-Hare? The air raid, it's like I said in the beginning, the air raid is wildly inconsistent. And that's just the way the air raid is because name one air raid team 
that has gone to the college football playoff that did not have an absurd number of NFL receivers on their roster. The only two air-dominant teams were LSU and Alabama. Yeah, and I think... And guess what? Najee Harris, probably going to win Rookie of the Year. Maybe, and if he's not Rookie of the Year, he's definitely the rookie best rookie running back. Yeah, and I like that you said air-dominant because they threw the ball a lot, but, like, Najee Harris would still get, like, like, he still got carries. Like, yeah, Clyde Edwards-Alaire still got He's a dominant running back. Yeah. Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Dude was tearing it up. Is he playing for the Chiefs? Is he hurt? I feel like He's I haven't hurt. heard anything from him. Okay, yeah. Because his first couple years at the Chiefs, whoo, dog. Anyway, so I just named two running backs off of these supposed air raid, you know, air dominant offenses. The reason the Big 12 doesn't do well in the college football playoff is because it's inconsistent. It is going to win you some games. And that's why I was so excited to see that they went off last week. Because the chances of them going off in back-to-back weeks are very low. Not to mention, Arkansas's defense is horrendous. I mean, do you remember what Ole Miss did to them? Ole Miss had, like, none of their players and scored 52 on them. Like, Arkansas's defense is not very good. I... I think it might start a little shaky for us because the slant route, depending on the coverage, we've had some trouble. You know, Ole Miss killed on the slant route. But at the end of the day, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, they would get open a little bit, and then we started, you know, it's the bend-don't-break defense where they'd start cranking it down. The defense did get bailed out by a few drops this week. Um, That tight end that they had, has some shaky hands. I mean, yeah. he might need to transfer to us the way he catches. Um, but yeah, no, I I feel pretty good about it. I feel like we have more secondary depth than maybe anybody in the SEC except for potentially Alabama. Um, and I mean, Alabama dominated them on defense. I mean, Will Rogers was also throwing some ridiculous throws. I mean. Dude's like rolling to his right and then chunks it across his body to the other sideline and is surprised that their five-star safety takes it to the house. Um, I think Roger McCreary will have a huge game. I think Jalen Simpson will see a lot of playing time. He's kind of our uh, coverage uh, corner. I think both of them might, you know, get an interception or two. This is a prime, and I mean a prime, Smoke Monday pick six game. Smoke is just go ahead and book it. Smoke's man is going to get like a 30 yard reception. And I also predict a smoke pick six or smoke pick take 20 yards back. He literally lives for this. He lives for the Mississippi State game where he knows they're going to throw it. And you know, he's going to do some kind of like baiting thing where he's going to try and make Will Rogers think the guy's open and then he's going to either pick it or it's going to go just over his fingertips and they're going to go 80 yards for a touchdown. Smoke, if you're listening, I love you. Try to not get cooked, but also try and get one of your famous interceptions. It almost makes me think of, uh, have you ever heard that that Ed Reed interview? And he said that they they were up big in a game and it was like week two. And he intentionally – they were in this coverage that they did against really good quarterbacks. They didn't do it a ton. And he intentionally misplaced the coverage and allows the guy to get a 60-yard gain because they were up big. It didn't matter. And he intentionally misplayed it. 
Then a couple weeks later, they're playing Peyton Manning, and they're in that coverage. And so he acts like he's playing it wrong. Peyton throws it to the guy. He cuts over, gets a pick. It's a huge play. He talks about it all the time. Because he's like, oh, I baited Peyton Manning. I could so see Smoke just being like, have a, I could see him have a guy literally drop 100 yards receiving on his head, and then he's going to get a pick six at the end of the game, and the student section is going to go wild. And they're, they're going to play like, no smoke. smoke. Retire number 21. They're going to think <laughs> he's God's gift to Auburn secondary. I'm ready for it. It's going to happen. But I, I love do agree. Smoke. I love his energy. I love I love everything about Smoke except for the one or two plays a game where he just gets destroyed. I will say, I will say, we we trashed Smoke Monday. I can't remember what game it was. I think it was maybe before Going the LSU game. I can't re- I remember I said that there was no reason he should play safety and that they need to put him to out play an outside linebacker. I remember that. Ever since then, I will say, we have changed his role a little bit. He's been playing good football. He has been. He has. He is. He has been in the position that he game. needs. He had a heck of a game against Ole Miss and Texas A and M. Yeah, he still he still blew one or two coverages against Ole Miss. Texas A and M he played pretty good. Ole Miss for the most part he played good. Smoke Monday has definitely got Derek Mason being here has really helped Smoke just kind of put Smoke Monday in the place where he can get the most out of every rep he's on the field. That's great. Smoke's playing better. Love to see it. This team, this I, I don't know, this team is it's interesting because I think so. Roger McCreary is I you can make the argument he is one of the best. I mean, he's definitely one of the best corners in the SEC. Yes. You could probably I mean Stingley's probably better than him, but I, I don't I'd even say know. McCre- I think Stingley might be more athletic, but I think technically that's the thing about Roger. Yeah. He does a great job just DB technique. There was that one play. The little like they were trying to run a corner route, and he was sitting in his back pocket to the point where the receiver couldn't run the route. Yeah, like he literally, if he ran the route, it would have been a pick. Like he had to run straight so that Raj wouldn't just pick it off. Like it was perfect technique. He had several just perfect technique and several knockdowns. Yeah, it, I mean he had he played amazing against Texas A&M. I feel like every possession, I was like, wow, that was a really good play by Roger. Yeah, I mean, I definitely he is. Lockdown corner. He's going to have a big game against Mississippi State. But also, Jalen Simpson's really been coming along. I mean, really, he he played really well against LSU, Ole Miss, and Texas A&M were three games where he was a standout player. And he's really kind of taken the cornerback two spot almost from Nehemiah Pritchett. Like, Jalen's been playing a lot more than Pritchett has been in those kind of situations because he's just been playing so well. And I think that it is a – it's a tough spot for Mississippi State who wants to throw it so well. And I think that Auburn, you could definitely make the argument that I think we have the best secondary in the SEC. I do. Like, if, you, if you're talking about scoring, like, if you're a team that – like, you might get yards maybe and Georgia. all that. May, yeah, maybe. But I feel like it's a little different. I feel like Georgia plays defense a little bit differently than Auburn does. But I do agree with – I think we have one of the better secondaries in the SEC. I think Will Rogers will throw for a lot of yards, but I don't think they score much at all. I think that the way – I mean, like, I think the way we lose this game is if the offense is just horrible again. Yep. But, I mean, you look at, you know, Arkansas was able to run it a little bit. I mean, they really – I mean, they ran for two over 200 yards. I mean, it was, you know, a decent day running. I think that – I think that Auburn will win this game. I think that it's almost like 
this would have been a trap game if we were with that Texas. If we had won that Texas A&M game, this would have been more of a trap game. But I feel like now that we lost, it's not as much of a trap game because we're going to be a lot more locked in for this one. I'm not going to predict a win after I was confident against Texas A&M and uh, it just all came crumbling down. But I do feel good that if we can execute and we can play how I know we can play, I definitely think this this will be a win. I agree. But, so I think that wraps up our football talk for this podcast. Uh, we can kind of shift arenas, no pun intended, to, oh my. <laughs> to basketball. Uh, obviously, Auburn opened up the season last night with a win over Moorhead State in the season opener. I mean, this game – it really wasn't close. I mean, it really wasn't. Auburn in the first half at one point was winning 40 to 11. I mean, it kind of got to the point where it was unfair. And Moorhead State kind of went on a little bit of a run. There were obviously some things that we needed to fix. But, I mean, in the first half, it was complete and utter dominance. And it just looked like Moorhead State was a bunch of random dudes at the rec playing the basketball team. I mean, it was it was tough. But Wheeler, what were your thoughts about Auburn's opener and who was kind of your – or some of your kind of standout players and any surprises that you may have seen uh, from the game? Uh, Walker Kessler, wow. Uh, I I mean, the way he moves for how big he is is just – it's fun to watch. Even if he doesn't make a play, like the game's 40 to 11, and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I want to watch this man that's seven two run down the court like he's a normal sized human. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the blocks that he had were not just like, you know, a lot of times you'll see a big man, somebody like stumbling in trying to do a little uh, teardrop or something that gets swatted. This man was like baiting people. And I was thinking, oh, he's about to block this with his right arm. And he just went ahead and slapped it down with his left arm when I thought he was, like, moving his left arm to jump. You know what I'm saying? I mean, mm-hmm. this man was just swatting people left and right. Um, I thought Zepp Jasper was a lot better uh, than I was expecting. Uh, Jabari gave me a heart attack when he went down with his cramps. Um, he's as advertised. He's really good this team's just going to get better as they start to play together. I mean, that's the th- that's the crazy thing is the second – I don't even know. I don't know if he's the second best player. After watching last night, I think Al Flanagan might be the third best behind Jabari and Walker. Um, either way, though – oh, you made a face. You don't agree? I, I think so. Okay, so I think – and this was something that I was – with if you look at Auburn's team for the first time we have or really for the first time since the final four year we've got a couple guys that can actually take over games and it was you know Jabari we I mean he's he's as good as advertised he can take over a game Allen we've seen multiple times he can take over a game Walker I think if he can if you feed him in the post I think he can take over a game uh, I think I said this on the podcast before I think I said it back when we got Walker was, you know, everyone was talking about how he, you know, how he can shoot and whatever. He's a stretch five. It's like, you know, at North Carolina, he really wasn't. Like he didn't, he, he didn't shoot a ton, 
but his percentage was not great. Like, his form looks good. I don't think he's scared to shoot. I think he'll make some. But I don't think he's going to be shooting over 32% from three. I think the best case scenario, he maybe hits 30, maybe. But I don't think that. But I still think if you feed Walker in the post with his post moves, he can take over a game. But Wendell Green is a guy that reminds me a ton of Jared Harper. He is a guy that will be able to score the basketball. He is a really good college point guard. Now, due to his size, I don't know if he'll ever do anything in the NBA. Like, I think Jared is kind of like, he's going to be a G League guy. He'll get called in two-way. He'll play some in the NBA. He can score. He gets toasted on defense. That's what happens in the NBA for Jared. Wendell in – like, you look at Jabari. Jabari's probably going to be a top-five pick. Like, he's projected to be a top-five pick right now. Allen's going to be an NBA guy. I think Walker will be an NBA guy. Wendell is going to be – there are going to be times when you look at Wendell and you're like, this is the best player on the floor. Like, with how he's playing, you're like, this guy, he looks like he's better than everybody else. And I think that is just something that is just so dynamic about that. And I think that you could make the argument that while he might not be the best person, but I think you can – as the season goes on, I think you'll be able to make the argument that he is top two to top three. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, but, I mean, I think just as far as the game goes, they were playing Auburn basketball at the beginning of the game. They ran out ahead, and they're a bunch of young guys and just had a three-point and dunk competition. Um, this was a primetime Devin Cambridge game where there were going to be times where the lane was wide open and he could start his run up from the free throw or from the three-point line. And, I mean, heck, the guy may not do a lot for you during SEC play, but he does a lot for you in warm-ups and a lot during the dunk contest. I mean, that dunk that he had where he, like, basically tomahawked it. And his head was above the rim. I mean, the dude has massive hops. He is very fun to watch. As far as talent goes, he's not the most talented guy on the roster. Sonny Smith with a hilarious call. It didn't really make sense to me. I don't know if Sonny was in the arena or if Sonny was actually at home eating some Tillamook ice cream. For those that didn't see it, Devin makes his dunk and Sonny goes, oh, wow, that one almost made me cough up my ice cream. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. I think, it was, I think it was late in the game and I think Sonny was a little tired. I think he was ready to go. So he had to stop by the concession stand and, you know, <laughs> enjoy himself a little bit at the game. Dylan Cardwell played about as Dylan does. I was surprised. I thought Dylan would get more PT. Uh, always a crowd favorite. Um, I feel like Jalen Williams has really stepped up his game and is kind of becoming a more consistent player. Um, no, I mean, I think everything looked good other than – and, I mean, Bruce said this in his post game. He said that the guys got a little tired in the second half, mm-hmm. which that's going to happen early in the season. Like, no matter how much conditioning you do, it's not the same thing. You know, the, you yeah. got to get into game shape. That's why Jabari is cramping up. I mean, even when you're watching the Kentucky-Duke game, I mean, they were having tons of cramps. Guys were getting tired. It was getting sloppy towards the end. Like, it's just hard to get into. You're not, you're not going to practice that hard. It's a different thing to play in the game. So, I, I was not concerned with the team getting tired. I don't think that's going to be a problem once the season gets going. I agree. I think that my 
if you you know, obviously it was a really good game, but if you're really nitpicking and the kind of things that you can add, um, I thought we struggled a little bit when the double team came, especially from the bigs. Walker, I think, turned it over. I think Jalen turned it over two times doing this, and it was like they had they had a guy on them, and then the double came, and they didn't see the guy coming, and they they lost the ball. Um, that's something they can work on, obviously, conditioning. Everybody looked like they were starting to get a little tired as their minutes progressed, except for Wendell. Wendell seemed like he was like he was fine the whole time, but like you said, I mean, that'll be, that'll be fine by the time conference play rolls around. Won't be a problem there. Um, I thought that this was an interesting thing with – it was so weird because I remember seeing – I remember looking up at the scoreboard and I saw Jabari only had eight points. And it was like, while he might not, like, do a – like, you know, he was, he was three of six for eight points – six rebounds. So, I mean, 8.6 rebounds, you're like, okay, like that's an average stat line, one block. It was like, okay, that's like, okay. But it's like, when you were watching him, you were like, this guy is insane. Like, you were like, he is so good at the game of basketball. And it's just so fun to watch a guy like that where he can only have, he can have an average stat line. And you're like, this guy might be the player of the game because he played so good every time he was on the floor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the defensive intensity was great. Um, Katie Johnson is just a great, great energy guy to have, um, especially off the bench. It was very interesting seeing like the, just the dynamic, you know, and like the different lines and like seeing everything. Um, I was interested to see Zepp playing point guard as much as he did. That kind of surprised me. I thought he was going to be more of a two, um, but he, you know, he, he came in and played a lot of, played a lot of the one. I'm interested to see how that kind of develops, but it seems like we've almost – it's almost like we've got six – almost like six starters right now, you know? Yeah. It's like you've got you've got the starting five plus KD Johnson, who played more minutes than every starter except for Wendell. I mean, he, he, played, he played a lot of minutes. And I think it'll be interesting to see the dynamic when Allen comes back, what that'll do to Devin's minutes, what that'll do to Chris Moore minutes, what that'll do to Leor Berman's minutes. Because, I mean, Leor's a guy that – you know, he's the 10th man off the bench. He played seven minutes, and it was almost like – I felt like he – if you watch it, he's not bad. He's really not. Like, yeah. athletically, he can hang with all the people. The thing is, he played so much better at the end of the game when everyone else that Auburn had on the floor was other walk-ons. Because it's almost like his mindset in those moments is like, oh, like, I'm the best player that we have right now. And he plays like it. But when he plays with the starters, he's like, I'm the worst player. They're all better than me. And he plays like a walk-on. He's playing like, oh, get the ball, pass it. Get the ball, pass it. And if he shoots it, he's scared to miss. Yeah. And that's why when he misses, he misses bad because he's he's just he's just he's kind tight. of scared to play. So it's almost like if we can get him I, – I, I truly think that if we can get him comfortable with playing like in the rotation that he's in, I think that he could give us eight solid minutes. I really do. Yeah. And you look at, I mean, you look at, I mean, you look at the final four team, like that team played 10 guys and Horace Spencer was the 10th guy off the bench. Horace Spencer got great minutes for us that season. Great minutes. And obviously Lewis is not going to be the 10th guy when Allen comes back, but I mean, the 10th man off the point. bench. Yeah. I mean, the 10th I mean you're going to have an injury most likely exactly. to one a year. 
one of your rotation guys, and he's someone who can easily step in to that rotation and there be a slight drop but not terrible. Exactly. So you you still have a 10-man rotation instead of going to a nine-man rotation. Exactly. And if Leor can play – Leor, in my opinion, he's a less athletic Devin Cambridge. I think that if Devin Cambridge was not a superhuman athlete, him and Leor Berman's basketball skills would be on a fairly similar level. I agree. But the, the difference is Devin can jump from the free throw line and still – But his defense his... is still not that good. No, it's not. He is an incredible dunker, though. Yeah, definitely. Well, so looking ahead to the schedule, Friday night's game is going to be a bloodbath. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're playing Louisiana Monroe. For those that didn't see, they lost by 62 on Tuesday. Yeah, that's right. They lost by six. It was 39 to 101. I mean, that's like one of those things you see on Instagram about some women's basketball team out in California that scores like four points. 62. Whew. That's more than Moorhead even scored. Anyway, Law Monroe, terrible game. If anybody has tickets that they want to give me, just slide into the DMs. Um, <clears throat> anyway, moving on. Uh, the next week, next Friday, uh, it's Auburn versus South Florida. South Florida got their first win against Bethune-Cookman. We'll have to see a little bit more results. I don't have my finger on the pulse of South Florida basketball. Or Um, Bethune-Cookman basketball. Or Bethune-Cookman basketball. Um, I'm assuming that they will be a step up from the atrocity of a team that's coming in. And then things get crazy. Mm -hmm. That's when the bad boy mower battle for Atlantis starts. And normally when you're playing in the bad boy mow or anything, it's not good, but in basketball it is. It's just like playing bad bad football teams. You know they're going to be good in basketball. And we're playing one of the worst football teams in the world. UConn, first game, ranked 24th in the country. Solid teams in the battle, bad boy battle for Atlantis. And I'm excited to see how this team holds up. However, I don't have the highest expectations i think it's going to be a little bit of growing pains for this team what do you think it'll be interesting for sure uconn uconn is a really good front court and it'll be interesting to see you know auburn's bringing in what we think is one of the better front courts in the nation and i think that going up against uconn i mean uconn's probably got top seven top five front court in the nation so it'll be a good battle and i think whoever wins the battle in the front court will win the game um, but I mean, I like our chances with Walker and Jabari. Um, I mean, I think, I, I think it'll be a really good game and I think it'll be a good, a good gauge to kind of see, kind of see where this team is at in November, uh, with South Florida, I think they're going to be a good team. A lot of the time when we play these kind of teams on the road in November or December, a lot of the time history, it says we lose those games. We lost to NC state, lost to UCF, those kind of games, you know, Obviously, we don't want to lose that game, but it would not surprise me if we do. But we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, and then December has a fun schedule as well. Yeah, so in the battle for Atlantis, we are on the same bracket side of Michigan State and Loyola Chicago, mm-hmm. um, which were both really solid teams last year. I mean, this is a really solid lineup. It really you got is. Auburn and UConn both ranked. Loyola Chicago, which is a Elite Eight team, Michigan State, their top 10, 
Syracuse honestly might be one of the worst teams in the bracket along with VCU. Then you got national champion Baylor and Arizona State. I mean, that's just a really solid lineup. I would love to have a rematch with Baylor. The bad boy mower bowl would have to go really well for our Tigers to uh, see a matchup with the Baylor Bears. We'd have to beat UConn, probably Michigan State, and, uh, yeah, well, those two. Yeah, and Michigan State, for those that don't know, they lost their opener against Kansas by 13. Kansas, obviously, elite program, number three in the country. Um, Tom is a great coach. That'll be – I think that Michigan State will be a much better team come tournament time. And I think that if we could if we could beat UConn and Michigan State in the same, in the same uh, tournament, those are both going to be wins that look really good really good come come march for sure and i think uh non-con schedule needs to go pretty well for auburn this year the sec is loaded Mm -hmm. um i mean mississippi state bruce was talking about this in his press conference the other day uh mississippi state was picked like sixth or seventh in the sec and they had like the number one transfer class in the country or number two behind kentucky like they're super talented and they're still picked to go finish six. So very deep SEC schedule. Um, definitely need to get off to a hot start. I'm looking yeah, well, tonight matchup. I mean, especially if, if you look in the, I mean, if you look at the SEC, I mean, you've got Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee, Alabama, and Auburn. That is five teams that have legitimate national championship expectations. Like, yeah. Those are teams that, if they stay healthy, could legitimately make a Final Four. And if you said, I've got one of those teams in my Final Four, people wouldn't be like, oh, you're crazy. Like, every single one of those teams has a legitimate shot. And then, like you said, you got Mississippi State, you got LSU. You've got other teams in the conference that are still pretty good at basketball. So, it's definitely going to be – it's going to be a tough – it's going to be tough sledding. But if we can do good – in our non-conference schedule, it'll definitely help us getting some, especially getting some of those quadrant two wins uh, heading in, heading into March. Yep. But yeah, so that kind of that kind of wraps up our basketball talk. A uh, bit of a longer pod today, I think, but we had obviously a lot to talk about. This is kind of the the fun part in the the podcasting time when you've got football and basketball and if one of them lets you down usually the other one has a little bit of a win that you can happen but when they both let you down it's kind of tough but hopefully next week we'll be able to break down a little bit more Auburn basketball with a win over the horrible horrible Warhawks of ULM and hopefully being able to break down uh, a win against South or against Mississippi State and previewing the South Carolina game as always if you have any questions comments or concerns feel free to DM the page Ah, uh, and that's just us signing off. War Eagle. War Eagle. Any tickets? Send them our way. <laughs>